Well, God's doing some amazing things here, amen? Really appreciate the presence of God we had this morning and pray. I, I really appreciate all the, the prayer that goes into, you know, this moment that for this to be an encounter. You know, we've got people coming in. The prophetic team comes in early. They're praying. They're interceding. They're declaring. The altar team, they go back and they're praying and interceding. And the worship team, we pray and we're interceding. Um, there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes to create this atmosphere that you get to just walk into. Amen. And so I just, I'm grateful and I want to say thank you to all those who are praying because without it, um, we have nothing. You know, I mean, there's a lot. Yes. Amen. Let's thank you intercessors. Thank you prayer team. Thank you prophetic team. You guys are amazing, and I want to be you when I grow up, that's for sure. Wow, so today, um, well, for, you know, for a lot of years here at New Covenant, we have been leading people into emotional healing and deliverance for a very, very long time. Uh, we have made it a very important part of our mission at New Covenant to set captives free. And about three years ago, um, you know, we've been doing all kinds of different training and equipping when it comes to emotional healing. Um, and three years ago, um, we introduced another tool to help us fight this fight of setting people free, and it's called Restoring the Foundations, or RTF. And since we've adopted and in implemented that tool, we have probably seen more healing, more deliverance than we've ever experienced. I mean, I'm just telling you the facts. <laughs> I can tell by the level of crazy in some people's lives, it's working. <laughs> yes, woohoo. Yes, woohoo. And, uh, you know, people are getting free from fear. They're getting free from bitterness. They're getting free from control and sexual sins. And un they're getting free from unforgiveness. I mean, the list of issues that people are getting free from is really, it's enormous. And God is doing such a work of freedom in this house that we really need to be thanking him for it. If you've gone through and you got some healing, if you haven't lately, I encourage you, thank him for setting you free. Thanksgiving is always a great way to start the day with Jesus. I mean, we are literally, we are walking out Isaiah 61 verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Someone say amen to that. Amen. There are so many, so many people are healthier and happier and living holy than they ever were six months ago or a year ago. And God is really doing miracles in people's lives. Yes and amen. 
But there's a glitch that I've been observing. And it's something I've noticed. It's something that's been brought to my attention through our emotional healing team. And the glitch is that people are not testifying of what God has done. People are getting healed. They're getting restored. But they're afraid to talk about what God healed them from. I'm not hearing, we don't hear a lot of how God is setting people free. You know, as a pastor of this church, as well as being married to the leader of our emotional healing ministry, you know, I hear general testimonies, you know, stuff like it went well with so-and-so, or, you know, the person we met with last week got some great breakthrough. They never divulge any details, you know, due to our privacy standards. They don't share any of that. So it's very generic, you know. Things are going good. Yes, it went well. That's all I'm hearing. I'm not actually hearing from a lot of people that are receiving this healing. I'm not hearing a lot from them. And even sometimes when we ask people to share their testimony, we get a lot of hesitation or just an outright no. You know, one of our goals with setting the captives free is to to be able to document and to testify about the amazing things that the Lord is doing in people's lives. How many, how many realize that it, it's easy to think God isn't doing much when we never hear what God is doing? How many know it's real easy to think less of your church or its ministries when you never hear about any of the good stuff that's going on? We're just droning on, just keep doing the same old thing. It's easy to have a real low opinion. It's real easy to go, eh, church. Eh, connect group. Just going to sit in a circle and talk and eat and blah, blah, blah. Eh, church. We'll sing all the songs everybody knows that I don't know, and they'll all dance up front, and then we'll get on to the preaching. When there's no testimony coming forth that God is changing lives from the people whose lives are being changed. You know, the whole reason that that men and women of God get a national platform to speak and have influence is because of the testimony that's going out from their ministries. At the very least, we're watching them on TV and going, wow, look at all those people there. They must be doing something right. I'm serious. You know, Bethel Church would not be the influence that we see if if it wasn't for the fruit that's, being going, that's going out and being spoken about. You wouldn't be listening to Bill Johnson and Chris Valentin and Danny Silk or Joel Osteen or Keith Moore or Joyce Myers if it weren't for the testimony of their fruit of their ministries. Why? Because there's a hundred people preaching that you don't even know. Because they're little bitty and they don't have a lot of fruit that we all see. Just as amazing as Bill... And Chris and Danny.
You know, when we were doing the Dream Center outreach here at New Covenant, and so many lives were being touched and healed and saved and talked about, and, and when that was going on, people were talking about it. And we received so much financial help and so much volunteer help. It was amazing. But it was because there was a testimony that was going out from this place about what God was doing. You realize everybody wants to be a part of something that's going right. And so we've got this amazing emotional healing and deliverance ministry that so many people are getting freedom and yet so few people are willing to testify of what God is doing. So I started asking the Lord, why won't people share their testimony? And I felt very distinctly that the Lord said they are not completely free from shame. People are getting amazing things from the Lord, but shame is keeping them from sharing their experience. Now, from an earthly, fleshly perspective, I get it, you know? I mean, it really could be embarrassing to stand up in front of the church and, you know, testify that, you know, up until a couple of weeks ago, I was stealing from my company. I get that, you know, or, well, you know, up until last month, I had a porn addiction. My wife and I, we haven't had sex for two years. I mean, I get it. It's happening. And I get that those are shameful behaviors, porn, stealing, lying. But why can we testify about those things when it was 10 years ago, but not 10 weeks ago? I believe it's because shame is still telling our story. Shame is still telling the story instead of Jesus. The narrative of our recent deliverance is still being filtered through the eyes of shame instead of through the cross of Christ. You know, when Eric and I, when we started this, this sermon series on the blood, we, we labeled it, How to Erase Your Past and Live a Shame-Free Life. And Eric you know, touched on some really powerful truths about the blood and how it fights against condemnation and how the blood speaks on our behalf. You know, on Mother's Day, we had Shelly come and share. She shared, you know, how moms experience shame and, and that it's through connection with the Holy Spirit that we can fight against those feelings. Well, today, I want to put shame under the microscope. I want to look at what the Bible says about shame and how do we overcome it so that we are free in this place to testify of the powerful work of God in our lives. How do we truly live free from shame? So 
So let's start with a definition of shame. A dictionary definition of shame. If you're taking notes, these are good things to write. Shame is the painful emotion. Shame is the painful emotion caused by a consciousness caused by a consciousness of guilt or shortcoming or impropriety. I'll explain those here in a minute. Shame is the painful emotion caused by a consciousness of guilt or shortcoming or impropriety. So I'll give you an illustration of each of these. So first, let's, let's the, the shame of guilt. Suppose for a moment you act against your conscience and you withhold information on your tax return. For a couple of years, you don't feel anything because it's out of your mind. You know, and you didn't get caught. Well, then you get a letter from the IRS saying you are under an audit. And through this process, it becomes public knowledge that you lied and that you stole. And now everybody knows your guilt. And in light of public criticism, you feel the pain of shame. That's shame caused by guilt. And number two, shame that we feel through shortcoming. So imagine you're an athlete, you're a runner, um, you run the 3,000 meter dash, and you are great, you are good, you are awesome, you are the best in your school, maybe the state, in fact, maybe the U.S. has sent you to the Olympics. And you're the best America has to offer in the 3,000 meter dash. And so here you are, you're in the stadium, thousands of people are watching this race. It's on TV, so thousands and hundreds of thousands of more are watching this race. And now you are up against the world's best runners. And the gun goes off and off you are till it gets down to the last lap. And the competition in this race is so intense and so difficult that by the last lap, you have been lapped one whole time. And now, all the runners are across the finish line but you. And they can't end the race until you finish as well. And so the whole world is watching you take your last solitary lap all by yourself. Super duper last place. Like they've already started handing out ribbons and you're still coming in. Now here's the thing. There's no guilt in that. But 
the humiliation and the shame that we could feel because of that can be very intense. So that's shame through shortcoming. And then the third kind, shame through impropriety. And all this means is you were invited to a party. Yeah, we're going to be there. It'll be awesome. And when you get there, you find out you dressed completely wrong. You're in shorts and flip-flops, and everyone else has dinner jackets and slacks. Again, no evil, no guilt. It's just a social blunder, but you still feel foolish and embarrassed. So shame through guilt, shame through shortcoming, and shame through impropriety. And I filled all of them. I have done them all. So what's the Bible say about this? Well, before I move on, I'm going to make a little disclaimer. As I was researching, I came across a lot of great information by a guy by the name of John Piper. Brilliant Bible teacher. And he has so brilliantly covered this subject of shame um, that I'm going to say a lot of stuff that he said. So a lot of these ideas will be his, his quotes, his statements. He just has so brilliantly done it. So I just want to throw that disclaimer out there. Um, John and I are sharing this message today. (laughs) And all the good stuff will probably be his. So So, I don't feel any shame. That's why I said it. (laughs) Okay, so. One of the things that jumps right out at us when we see this definition of shame is that there is some shame that is justified and some shame that is not justified. There are some situations where shame is exactly what we should feel and there are some situations where we should not feel shame at all. Most people would say that a thief who got caught should feel shame. Someone who lied and lied and lied and they got caught, we all think, yeah, that guy probably should feel some shame. And most people would say that the long-distance runner who came in last and gave it his very best, that guy should feel no shame. None at all. Disappointment, that would probably be healthy, but not shame. The Bible talks about two kinds of shame. The Bible makes very clear that there is a shame that we ought to have and feel, and there's a shame that we should not have or feel. And John Piper calls one kind of shame misplaced shame. You can write that down. Misplaced shame. And the other kind he labels well-placed shame. So misplaced shame, the kind that we should never have, is the shame we feel when there is no good reason for it. So in other words, misplaced shame is shame that we feel for something that's good. Something that doesn't dishonor God. Or it could be shame that you feel 
for something bad, but you had no hand in it. This is a shame a lot of mommies carry when their babies act up. Oh my goodness, I am so embarrassed. You are acting the fool. You wait till we get home and your father will beat you. You didn't have any part to do it. You're just pushing the cart down the aisle. You're trying to get some groceries, and this little heathen is just going down the row and knocking it all off. Misplaced shame is the kind of shame that we not ought ever, ever feel. Now, well-placed shame, the kind we should feel from time to time, is shame you feel when there is good reason to feel it. So from a biblical standpoint, that means we feel ashamed of something because our involvement in it was dishonoring to God. Well-placed shame is the the feeling of shame for something we did that dishonors God. We should feel that emotion when we have a hand, when we play a part in dishonoring God. Whether it's through our attitudes or through our actions. Well-placed shame says you did something that was dishonoring, it was sinful. And you have this now. So, if we want to get to the battle, we want to get to the root of shame and, and deal with the root of it. If we really want to battle shame, we have to know what kind of shame we're dealing with, according to the Bible, how it relates to God. Say, I have to know what kind of shame. That I have, and how it relates to God. I want to be sure we see how important God is in the distinction between misplaced shame and well-placed shame. Whether we have a hand in honoring God or dishonoring God, it makes all the difference. And if we want to battle shame at the root, we have to know how it relates to God. And we do need to get to the root of it. We can't just go out and whack the leaves off this thing. We have to get to the root of shame. Because both misplaced shame and well-placed shame can cripple us if we don't know how to deal with it. So let's talk about misplaced shame. Let's look at some scriptures that that illustrate misplaced shame. First being, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So what we're reading here, what this text is saying is that if you feel shame for testifying about Jesus, 
for letting your coworkers know you're a Christian. Letting your family know that you're the friends that you hang. If you feel shame for testifying about Jesus, you have misplaced shame. Why? Because we should never feel shame for Christ. Christ is honored when we speak well of him. And he is dishonored by fearful silence. So it is not a shameful thing to testify about Christ. It is a shameful thing not to testify. Now the other thing this text is saying is that if you feel shame that maybe a friend of yours goes to prison or is in trouble because of their Christian beliefs. If they get in trouble because of, of, for their sake because of Jesus, then again, your shame is misplaced. See, the world may look at that as a sign of weakness and defeat. But Christians, we know better. God is honored by the courage of us, his servants, when we go to prison for his sake. Now, it ain't that bad here yet. But all over the world, people are doing this. They're going to jail for a long time. They're being tortured and they're being killed for their testimony. We should never feel shame that we are associated with something that honors God. No matter how much scorn the world tries to heap on us, we should never feel ashamed. I'm a part of that. that was, those are my people. Let's look at another verse, Mark chapter 8. Starting in verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be also ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Shame is misplaced when we feel it because of the person or the words of Jesus. You see, if, if Jesus says, love your enemies and people laugh at you and they say, that's stupid, that's unrealistic. We are not to feel shame for that. If Jesus says fornication is evil and all your friends make fun of you because you're a virgin, you are not to feel shame for standing with Jesus. That is misplaced shame. When we feel shame because of the words of Christ, because of the life of Christ, that is misplaced shame, no matter how foolish the world wants us to look. We cannot wear that kind of shame ever. 1 Peter chapter 4 
verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify in God in that name. Things like suffering and being made fun of as a Christian is not a time for shame. Instead, it's an opportunity to actually glorify God. In other words, in the Bible, the principle for what is well-placed shame and what is misplaced shame is, is not how foolish or how bad it makes you feel. Or how bad it makes you look to other people. It's whether or not you're honoring or dishonoring God. And this is so important to understand because much of what makes us feel shame is not that we have brought dishonor to God, you know, by our actions. A lot of times we're feeling shame because we fail to give the appearance that we want everyone to see of us. Much of our shame is not God-centered. It is self-centered. And until we get a real good handle on this, we're not going to be able to get to this problem at its root. Let's look at Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The reason that shame, uh, the reason shame in the gospel would be misplaced shame is that the gospel is the very power of God unto salvation. Say that with me. Say the gospel, the gospel. is the power of God unto salvation I should never be ashamed of that the gospel is the the very thing that magnifies God it magnifies God and it humbles man and so the to the world the gospel it doesn't look like power at all it looks like weakness you know you guys just ask, you just all have to be little children, you know, dependent on Jesus all the time. He's a crutch. Instead of standing on your own two feet and dealing with life the right way. But we know, for those who believe, it is the power of Almighty God that saves sinners. Let's look at current Second Corinthians twelve. Starting verse nine, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
Now, ordinarily, weakness and insults, they are an occasion that we allow shame to just come heap right on us. Oh, I get it. I feel it all the time when someone lets me know what a terrible shepherd I am. Boy, that hurts. And I could wear that thing for a long time. I can let that shame come on. But I've got to do what Paul does. See, Paul said these were occasions for celebration. See, Paul thinks that shame in his weaknesses and shame at insults and persecutions, he thinks these are all misplaced shame. Why? Because the power of Christ is perfected in Paul's weaknesses. When I fail you as a shepherd, the power of God is just coming at you. (laughs) So all of these passages that we've looked at, we have to conclude, we have to see, we have to believe, we have to understand The biblical principle for misplaced shame is that we are never, ever, ever to feel feel shame for something that honors God. Ever. You're never to feel shame for something that honors God. Let's say that together. I am never, ever supposed to feel shame for doing things that honor God. And I get it. You know, we do a lot with treasure hunts and marketplace ministry. Man, shame is like on every aisle, just waiting to embarrass you. I'm not going up to that person. I'm not going up to that person. I'm not going up to that person. I'm not saying anything to that person. Why? Because you're afraid of being embarrassed. You have misplaced shame for doing the gospel. I feel it too. So now I want to look at some scriptures that point to, again, what John Piper calls well-placed shame. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34, he says, Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. So here Paul is telling the Corinthians, you should feel some shame. I mean, it's right there. I say this to your shame. Their shame would be well placed if they were able to see the ignorance of God that they had and how it was leading to false doctrine see Paul was dealing in this church they were saying there's no resurrection they would understand that it's well placed you know because of the sin that was rampant through this church and nobody was dealing with it 
So in other words, well-placed shame is shame for that which dishonors God. And in this passage, Paul says it's to their shame concerning their ignorance of God, sinning against God, and their false beliefs about God. Let's look at another one in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 5. Does it again. He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Oh, this poor little Corinthian church. They have so many problems. And here we have Paul again, and he rebukes them with the words, I say this to your shame. Can it be nobody's smart enough in this place to like settle a dispute between two guys? Really? No one? Again, he says, you should feel shame for that. I say this to your shame. Their shame is well-placed because their behavior is bringing such disgrace upon God as they're fighting each other, you know, trying to get help from godless judges to settle their disputes. So a well-placed shame is a shame that we feel because we're involved in something that dishonors God. And then let's not miss the implication of this passage. See, these people, these Corinthians, they were actually trying to appear right and strong. See, they wanted to be vindicated by men. They wanted to be winners in court. They didn't want anyone running over them because, you know, you're not going to run over me like I got no rights. See, to the Corinthians, looking or appearing like they were weak or losing was the thing that they thought was weak and shameful. And so in the very act of trying to avoid shame as the world sees it, they actually fell into the behavior that God said was shameful. Again, here's the point. When we're dishonoring God, shame is well-placed. No matter how strong or wise or right we are in the eyes of men. Let's look at Ezekiel 43 and verse 10. As for you, son of man, describe the house of Israel, the temple, that they may be ashamed of their iniquities, and they shall measure the plan. So now we've got God himself speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. He's telling them. He's telling Ezekiel to tell Israel that they should be feeling shame for all the sin that's in their lives. That's what iniquities are. Why? Why is God saying this through Ezekiel? 
because sin always results in shame because sin is shameful behavior that dishonors God. So again, let's just do a little quick recap. So this biblical principle of what John Piper calls misplaced shame is that that we should not feel shame for. It's something that I did, and it's honoring to God. I should never feel shame. That's misplaced shame. No matter how foolish or weak it makes us look. No matter how wrong it makes you look in the eyes of people. We should never feel shame for even the bad circumstances to, that happens to people that we know. When you had no part in it. And the biblical principle for what, again, John Piper calls well-placed shame. Shame is what we do feel for having a hand in anything that dishonors God. No matter how strong or right it makes you look in the eyes of people. Culture is a deceptive gauge in which to judge yourself. Well, if everybody's doing it, and these people say they're Christians, and so why can't I? I don't know. What's your Bible say? Now, I need you to hear this. I need you to listen what I am not saying. I am not saying, I am not saying that because you or I sin against God or people, that we should wear shame like a giant scarlet letter A for the rest of our lives. Do you hear me? Whether we feel misplaced shame or well-placed shame, we have to get to the root and we have to get rid of it. Do you hear me? Good well-placed shame, bad misplaced shame, we got to get all of it out of our lives. Cannot linger forever. So how are we going to battle that? How are we going to get this emotional, this painful emotion called shame out of our lives? Well, here's the short answer if you want to write it down. We battle shame... We battle shame by battling the unbelief that feeds shame. We battle shame by battling the unbelief that feeds shame. So when we go into this fight, we are fighting for faith in the promises of God that overcome shame and relieve us from its pain. So let me illustrate. So when it comes to well-placed shame, I did something and I shouldn't have and I dishonored God and I feel it now. In the case of well-placed shame for sinning, 
The pain is going to come unless your conscience is seared. The Bible talks about that. You no longer feel bad for doing bad. But when we sin and we feel pain, it's going to happen. That shameful pain is going to come, but it cannot stay. It should not stay. If shame is lingering around after you have dealt with the sin, then that is a great big bright neon sign that's pointing to your unbelief and the promises of God. So, you remember what I said last week, you know, that the struggle of Christianity, you know, we, we said there is a struggle, there is an effort to living the Christian life, but our struggle, the struggle of Christianity is to continue in the way we began with God. It is to continue on the path of believing. Everyone say believing. I got to believe. Say it. I got to believe. I got to believe. Every day I have to believe. I've got to keep believing. Every day I've got to keep believing, 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 believing. That is the answer to our problem. Believing. We have to begin, we began with God in believing in that he saved us and cleansed us. And then every day after that is a day of believing. And so when shame lingers too long, it is a sign pointing to our unbelief in the promises of God. So, for example, in Luke chapter 7, there's this story of a woman who, who comes to Jesus. Jesus is hanging out at a Pharisee's house, and this woman comes in, and she is crying and weeping and bawling, and she is crying, and she's at the feet of Jesus, and she is crying and weeping and using her tears to wash the feet of Jesus. Now, when you read that story, it's not hard to read it to, and to, to assert that, you know, there was no doubt that this woman felt shame as the eyes of uh, Simon the Pharisee, whose house they were at, as he looks all bug-eyed when she comes in, and then he's, he's giving everyone in the room the, oh, do you see who's in the house? And everybody knows. He's communicating to everyone that this woman is a sinner, and Jesus has no business letting him touch her. truth was she was a sinner and you know what there was a place for true shame for the life that she had lived but not for too long and so we have Jesus in Luke chapter 7 verse 48 he says to this woman he says your sins are forgiven the house didn't like that started grumbling and what I mean imagine you were that one who just heard that and then everyone in the room doesn't agree with you no no we don't we don't forgive you but Jesus he steps in again and he helps her faith one more time and he says this in verse 50 
He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So how did Jesus help her battle the crippling effects of shame? He gave her a promise. He said, your sins, they are forgiven. Your faith, it saved you. Your future, full of peace. So the issue for her to get free and break this shame off her life was her belief. Is she going to believe the glaring condemnation of the house guests? Or is she going to believe the reassuring words of Jesus? That her shame was enough and you are now forgiven. You are now saved, and your future is full of peace. Listen, church, this is how we have to fight shame. This is how every one of us have to battle the effects of well-placed shame that threatens to linger way too long and ends up crippling us. We have to battle unbelief by taking hold of the promises of God. Taking hold of the promises that God has made to you and I. Stuff like Psalm 130, verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is a promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a trustworthy saying, and it deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Is anybody going to say amen to any of that? All of it. We battle well-placed shame by battling unbelief. Now what about when we feel shame for something that we did that glorifies God? How do we fight the feelings of misplaced shame? How do we fight, how do we battle the feeling of shame for something that is not even bad? But in fact, it glorifies God. You living a holy life. You holding on to your virgin card until you are married. How do we fight the shame that comes when we try to stand strong? 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord 
nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This passage shows us how Paul battled against misplaced shame. Verse 12 said it. He says, therefore, I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul is making it very clear here that the battle against misplaced shame is a battle against unbelief. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Right? They're right next. They're a couple of words apart. Not ashamed, because I believe. We fight against feelings of shame in Christ, our shame in the gospel, or the Christian way of life. We fight the shame we feel for all those things by battling unbelief in the promises of God. How many know this isn't brain science? We don't have to do rocket science. This is simple gospel. Do we, do we believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? Do we believe that Christ's power is made perfect in our weaknesses? The battle against misplaced shame is a battle against unbelief in the promises of God. And guess what the answer is for the other misplaced shame? Shame for stuff that we didn't even do. You know, someone went to jail for, their, for God. They lost their job. They got fired. That's what happens in America. People lose their jobs. Because of Jesus. We can all go, oh gosh, that's, oh, I feel ashamed for that person. Nope. So how do we battle this last instance of feeling shame for something we didn't even do? So again, this is the kind of shame where, you know, others try to pin on us for doing evil when in fact we've had no part and dishonoring God. Because it happened to Jesus. With Jesus, they, they called him a drunkard. They called him a glutton. They called Jesus, they said he's a temple destroyer. They, they said he was a hypocrite. You know, hey, he healed others, he can't heal himself. See, in every one of those accusations, the goal was to load Jesus up with shame. All those accusations were, were to put shame on him that was not his to bear. 
Same thing with Paul. They called Paul, they called him crazy when he was going to defend himself in court. They called him an enemy of Jewish customs and a breaker of Mosaic law. They accused him of teaching that you should sin so that grace abounds even more. Just sin more so you get more grace. They accused him of those things. And again, why? To load him up with shame that was not his to bear. This has happened to me. This has happened to you. And it's going to happen again. So how do we battle misplaced shame? By believing in the promises of God. By believing that in the end, all the efforts to put us to shame are going to fail. So maybe, maybe you're here today. And you're not sure maybe what kind of shame you're struggling with. Well, here's the good news. Everyone say good news. news. Here's the good news. Either way, well-placed shame, misplaced shame. Whether it's for dishonoring God or living in a way that honors Him. No matter what, it's the same answer. God has a promise for you. God has a promise for you that will break you out of shame. Someone say amen. Amen. You only have to believe. Romans 10 verse 11 says, the scripture says everyone who believes in, in him will not be put to shame. I'd like to have the altar team to come up and the prophetic team if you're ministering. If you would come now. (laughs) Now. So again, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Last week I talked about the power of the blood to erase every sin in your life. Everything you've ever done that dishonored God or dishonored another person, the blood of Jesus can erase it all. And I was so proud and thankful to the Lord that we had one person get saved last Sunday. They gave their heart to Jesus. Was that awesome or what? Listen, if you're in this place today, 
if you would just close your eyes. That same offer is here again. The blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of the life of Christ, is available to everyone in this room right now. Your past can be erased. Everything you've done wrong, everything you've messed up, every bad thing you can ever think of, it can be forgiven today by Jesus. That is the first step. If you have not received Christ as Savior, you've got to be saved. You have no hope of breaking shame off of your life if you are not saved. You have got to come to Jesus today. And if you are saved and you are struggling with shame, maybe there's something you need to confess. Maybe there's something you've done that you have dishonored God. Look, these people up here are not here to judge you. They are here to pray for you. They could care less what you did, to be honest. They just care about the work of Christ. So if you're here today and you are battling shame, whether it was for doing something that you dishonored God with or you're battling shame because something's been put on you by someone else, today is the day to come to the altar, to confess it, and to put your belief in the promises of God that says all who believe in Him will not be put to shame. So I am going to pray for us here in a moment. And then when I'm done, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and come to the front. Come to one of these, these altar team members, these prophetic team members. Come, give your heart to Jesus. Confess that Jesus is your Lord, that you need his saving power to work in your life. Come and confess that and then start, let's break shame off of your life. Let's get rid of it. Let's get it off of you. It's not serving you well. It's time to get rid of the scarlet letter A that you've been wearing or T or B or I or whatever your big sin is that you just can't believe God could ever love me because of it. I am sorry, that's a lie. He forgives all of it. The big ones, the middle ones, the small ones. So I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone in this house that those who need salvation will come forth at the end of this prayer, God, that they would walk up to this altar, they would meet with someone, and they would turn their life over to you, that they would let you have all the sin, all of the failure, all of the defeat, that they would bring that to the altar and take up Jesus and the forgiveness that comes through the name of Christ. God, I pray for every heart that's in here today that needs to be saved, that they would get out of their seat and they would make that confession with their mouth. The Bible says if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. So I pray for everyone in this house that needs salvation right now, God, that they would get out of that seat. They would come down to this altar and receive that kind of forgiveness. And Lord, for all of those who have shame lingering, 
misplaced shame or well-placed shame. I don't care. For those who have that shame that's lingering, God, I pray today that you would break that in Jesus' name. That we would believe the promises of God. And so I ask, Father, that you would bring those to the altar today, that they would confess either their sin or the shame, and they would get freedom today, God. They would believe in Jesus. They believe the words of God that says, your sins are forgiven. Your future is full of peace. So I pray for those in this house that need that today, God. And Lord, I just seal this word. I seal this, these truths that your Bible declare, God. Let them have a work in our heart this week. Let them challenge us to be believers every single day. I thank you, God, for all that you've done and all you're doing, the testimony of freedom that's coming out of this place. We thank you, God. I worship you, God, because you are setting the captives free. You are bringing deliverance to so many lives. I thank you for that. And God, we seal this time. We seal this this place, God. Let your Holy Spirit now come and wash over us. Bless us as we go today. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen. Amen.